Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. And welcome. You've tuned in to episode number 163 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm your host, Russ, K5TUX. And with me is a fantastic team of folks. We have coming all the way from Greeley, Colorado, Rich, KD0RG. Good evening, Rich. Woo! Hello, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> oh, a wrong voice for today, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> and we also have across from me, as always, Cheryl. Hello, everyone. And it uh, looks like we're ready to fire off another episode of this here old program that we do every couple of weeks. So let's do it to it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into our amateur radio topics. And this is an amateur radio topic. Well, it's not really an amateur radio topic, but it's a radio topic that I discovered 10 minutes ago. I'm interested to see how we all respond to this. Uh, this is a, a story I found over at, uh, where did I find this? O'Dwyer's. Uh, inside news of public relations and marketing communications of all places. This is uh, not a place we normally get news from. But the story goes, uh, doctor schools libraries lead battle versus excessive Wi-Fi. Uh, the Interdisciplinary Society for Environmental Science, that's, that's very pompous and exaggerated sounding, 3,000 physicians in Germany urges banning cell phone use by children and banning cell phones and cordless phones in preschools, schools, hospitals, nursing homes, event halls, public buildings, and vehicles. In other words, everywhere. <laughs> the National Institutes for Occupational Safety and Health say the Federal Communications Commission's standard is inadequate because it is based on only one dominant mechanism, adverse health effects caused by body heating. FCC also does not address the issue of long-term chronic exposure to RF fields. The International Commission on Electromagnetic Safety, representing scientists in 16 nations, urges limiting cell phone use by children, teenagers, pregnant women, and the elderly. Due to this, the National Library of France removed Wi-Fi and installed only cable connections. And there's a huge list in this article, which we're not going to go through, of a whole bunch of groups that have subsequently gotten rid of Wi-Fi. Like, entire municipalities. I know for some time, everyone's been saying, oh, Wi-Fi is perfectly safe. You don't have to worry about it. Carrying a cell phone in your pocket is just fine. You know, you can have it up to your head 14 hours a day, and it's not a big deal. So I was kind of interested to see this, and it's coming from outside of the United States. So obviously, it's a different analyzing body and a a different perspective on the issue. My perception is that there is there is so much RF in the universe that I hardly really worry about things like, you know, 30 milliwatt Wi-Fi transmitters in my cell phone. But I'm curious what you all think of this uh, chat room. Feel free to chime in, too. So, Rich, I know you have an opinion on everything. So, you know, feel free to. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think that's a good thing. Okay, because I've been uh, described as um, by uh, a person who knows me pretty well as uh, piss and vinegar. So, um, <laughs> was that your wife? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I will say I have known about um, Wi-Fi sensitivity for a long time, and there are lots of uh, cases and documented cases. I real quick searched for Wi-Fi sensitivity and came up with. Loads and loads of things to uh, to look at. Electromagnetic hypersensitivity from Wikipedia, and um, so yeah, I I think it's I think it's real. It's one of these things where we don't have enough information. We we don't have a big long term study, and we probably will never get one uh, because big long term studies are expensive and and who wants to get rid of Wi Fi? Right. Right. We love walking around. We love you know, looking at the internet while we're at the coffee shop or whatever, and that's Wi-Fi. And so when those things are so, when it's something that we all love, we don't want to believe that there's a downside to it. I kind of agree with you. And just a real quick aside, the the idea of electromagnetic sensitivity comes up in the show uh, Better Call Saul, which is awesome, and everybody should watch it. So... (laughs) <laughs> That's a plug a TV show. Yeah, while plug you're a TV at it. show on it. Yep. 
separate. Very separate. <laughs> it, even, even if you haven't seen uh, Breaking Bad, which Better Call Saul is the prequel to, um, I would recommend it. I think I think Better Call Saul is much better than than Breaking Bad was, and everyone's heard of that one. So enough about that. Enough about electromagnetic sensitivity. I guess take it for what you will. Do your research, you know, and then go ahead and use your cell phone and Wi-Fi anyway. Well, I, I'll just say one more thing. Okay. We know as amateurs about like resonant antenna, the resonant length of an antenna or a quarter wave antenna. Well, you're, you know, it is just inevitable that somebody's going to have, you know, pieces of their body that are the right, just the right length, the resonant length of something, a little bone, a little bone in your ear. I, I know this is, uh, I believe some people have complained of, either hearing it or feeling it in their head or something like that. And it could be just as simple as, uh, there's something that is the right size that is just, you know, resonating at that certain 2.4 gigahertz and it's really bugging them. I could say there's a certain part of me that resonates at a quarter wave of two meters, but I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wow. (laughs) I haven't done the math. I'm sorry. (laughs) Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> exactly. Grande. <laughs> well, I put this next story in there, but someone else can read it. Uh, Rich, you want to go ahead and read this one? Oh, sure. The th- oh my theorized <laughs> gravitational waves are now a reality. If no one's heard, well, here it is. The discovery marks a triumph for the thousand science physicists with the Laser Inferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, also known as LIGO. A pair of gigantic instruments in Hanford, Washington, and Livingston, Louisiana. Albert Einstein predicted the existence of gravitational waves a 100 years ago, but directly detecting them required mind-boggling technological prowess and a history of hunting. LIGO researchers sensed a wave that stretched space by one part in 1,021, making the entire Earth expand and contract by one one hundred thousandths of a nanometer, about the width of an atomic nucleus. The observation tests Einstein's theory of gravitivity. Gravitivity. Gravitivity, yeah. (laughs) The general theory of relativity with unprecedented rigor and provides proof positive that black holes exist. It is the prospect of the science that might be done with gravitational waves that really excites physicists. Thus, for this first LIGO result shows the power of such radiation to reveal unseen astrophysical objects. The observation also paves the way for testing general relativity as never before. Until now, physicists have studied gravity only in conditions where the force is relatively weak. By studying gravitational waves, they can now explore extreme conditions in which the energy in an object's gravitational field accounts for most or all of its mass. The realm of strong gravity so far explored by theorists alone. Oh, what a story. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of practical application, but it is very cool. It's it's kind of a rare occurrence when something that's been theorized forever and ever and ever is actually proven. I mean... We've had a couple of big discoveries lately, including the Higgs boson and now gravitational waves. You know, physics is kind of coming into its own nowadays, and I think it's getting lots of people excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to a, uh, a few astronomy shows, and they get very, 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 very excited about this stuff. And I just, I wish... I wish there wasn't so much uh, astronomy in, in particular, lots of emotion. And it's like, I want my scientists to be dry, to be boring, to not jump to conclusions. I want them to say, I don't know a lot because they don't. <laughs> uh, the thing is, this LIGO thing, they just, they just got it going not too long ago. Again, I want 10 years of, of research. We don't know if this is a rare event or not, but they're, you know, anyway, they did what they set out to do. Good for them. Well, and the story actually goes on to say that there is still considerable skepticism about the result and everything, and they are definitely working on, you know, replicating the experiment and so on and so forth. It's not like, I mean, they, they got the result they wanted, but it's not like they're just saying, okay, that's the end of that, we know. Uh, so <laughs> I, I heard somebody say they were talking about it, and he said, and the field data actually, actually matched. <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> You guys don't come to conclusions when it doesn't match, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope um, not. 
but it's what I'm, it's what I'm kind of, I'm always a little skeptical about these guys because they're the ones who told us, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you would have been hard pressed to find, um, an astronomy professor say that the universe was expanding and accelerating at an accelerated rate or accelerating while expanding. Nobody believed that it was either, it was expanding, but it was either at a constant rate or it was slowing down. That was what everybody thought. Right. Nobody knew. And then they, what, they get two separate, you know, teams measure it. Oh, gee, it's accelerating. How can that be? I know. Let's invent a supernatural force called dark matter. Anyway, so there's well, a lot you, of, you have to have a theory. Know. You can't experiment without a theory. So you, you I, have to- I understand. I understand. Um, so, and it's a starting point. Right. And it's a good starting point. Uh, I'd like to hear a, a few more. Uh, we, we're not sure. We don't know. Anyway. Right. That's well, what. you know, in 1500, the earth was flat. And of course, in 2016, for some people, it still is. How many celebrities are in the flat earther? There's quite a few of them. I don't know. There's a story recently about um, somebody very well known still believing the earth is flat. I guess we shouldn't go that far afield. But. <laughs> Somebody told me a joke today that if you <laughs> if you go if you go to Kansas and you put a you stand on a tuna can, you can see so far you'll be able to see the back of your head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Wow, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Hey, we, uh, we if uh, anybody if anybody believes that the Earth is flat, go up to the top place. of Pikes Peak. You can see that it's not. Yes. No, that is very and, true. And we have been at the top of Pikes Peak, so we know. <laughs> Katie0IJP in the chat room says, watch it now, which kind of makes me think he's in Kansas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so much for that. Rich started this next idea in, in something that's coming up later, but I, I stole it for this little bit right here. We're going to do our first Flash topic. Nice. And, and, th- <laughs> and this means we don't, like, expound go into five minute long rambles blah 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 so anyway our first flash topic is south africa to raise amateur radio licensing fee and it's a real quick story the amateur radio license fee in south africa will increase on april 1st 2016 to 126 r and r is the monetary unit of south africa whatever that is someone can look it up for rand rand okay 126 rands per annum and to safeguard against future increases, radio amateurs may take out a five-year license at 525 rand. So there you go. That'll save you some some rand. Uh, the source of that is the Southgate Amateur Radio Club. And if you happen to be a South African ham listening to this, you can find out more information at your uh, Amateur Radio League's organization down there at www.sarl.org.za. Zulu Alpha. So there you go. Flash topic number one. All right, so we're going to move. The show can move on. <laughs> That's right, we can move on. So we're going to move on to our open source topics. And uh, since I just did one, Cheryl, go ahead and read the next one. Yeah, <laughs> Cheryl has boycotted the program. On Tuesday announced that it has pulled the plug on its dev share program. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do that, I'm 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 fine with it. I was just filling in until she got back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well apparently she's boycotting, so uh, I'll do this one since I put the story in there. New Source Forge owners start trust repair. And I think we did report on the Source Forge issue uh, back when it was a thing. So, I think I remember I remember you talking about it. So Source Forge on Tuesday, and I'm not sure what Tuesday that is, I know it's a recent one, uh, announced that it has pulled the plug on its dev share program amid growing rebellion from software developers and a change of ownership. SourceForge Media announced the termination notice with a promise of other policy changes coming soon. DevShare was an opt-in revenue-sharing program for developers that was started in 2013. The program attempted to give open-source software developers a monetizing stream by bundling selected software titles with free downloads. It garnered negative reactions because projects hosted on SourceForge could bundle adware with their project installers. I kind of got from the story that we read that it was forced upon project admins. A little more sinister than just being an optional uh, opt-in kind of thing. Uh, Slashdot.media, which is owned by both SourceForge and Slashdot, last month announced the sale of both websites to SourceForge Media, a subsidiary of BizX, BizX, for an undisclosed sum. It is anticipated that SourceForge's new owner will take future steps to repair its damaged reputation. That came from LinuxInsider.com. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. So. Good news, I guess, for those of us who get software from SourceForge, and I know I get lots of software from there. 
I've never been stricken with this adware thing, but apparently it was a big deal. So I'm glad to see something's being done about it. Well, isn't it just the, uh, oh, you, you get put on a different page and it, you know, says, oh, three seconds till your download and it, it's got a little f- picture of IBM flashing or something like that. No, I mean, I got from this that it was actually in the downloaded software. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. It was almost oh, like it was yes, malware. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it was it was yeah, referenced yeah, like yeah, it was you're malware. Right. Good on you, SourceForge. And I don't know if it mentioned the the new owner of SourceForge. It probably did anyway. If you need to look that information up, it'll be in the show notes. So, all right, moving on. Some uh, information that Rich gathered about Canonical. So let's hear about this. Canonical's new Ubuntu tablet can also be your PC. Canonical still believes in convergence. The company that makes the open source OS Ubuntu and tried to raise $32 million for a smartphone that can power a PC has announced its first ever tablet, promising that the device is just a keyboard and mouse away from a full desktop experience. Plug in these peripherals and the 10.1-inch tablet switches from a full-screen mobile layout to a windowed user interface. Add a monitor and you've got a Ubuntu PC. It's a niche computing experience, but it's one that's full of possibilities. The definition of specific form factors are increasingly arcane and outdated, explains Canonical CEO Jane Silber. I think what's happening in the industry is the blurring of those segments and the need for a consistent platform and user experience across them. Silber thinks Ubuntu can supply that model successfully. It's from PC World. I hope it happens. You know, they had, uh, was it the Peng Pad, Pengo Pad, Rust? You remember that? I, I don't remember that. That was a Linux pad from a couple years ago that worked for a while. Anyway, you know, it's a great idea. It's, you know, a lot of people are, it's what you're carrying around because the phone is like too small sometimes. You want a, a little bigger screen. I just, I hope it, I hope it takes off. I, I hope it doesn't actually because I hate my phone interface and, and I've maintained a, um, a real staunch distinction between my desktop and mobile environments. And uh, it was funny. I was actually in an IRC conversation earlier, and the folks were talking about this particular story, and they were they were kind of on my side, where they didn't like the whole idea of a converged device, and they were talking about how eventually we're going to have like a 22 inch diagonal phone, and you just have a <laughs> you just basically be walking around with a PC monitor attached to your head, kind of thing. They figured that's where that was going to go, or, or there would be like a foldable screen or a roll up screen, or you know that kind of thing, so you stick it in your pocket. You know. You know, I, I read these stories and I'm like, oh, I never, I never looked at it like that. You got your phone, you got your tablet, you got your, your, you know, most people don't even have a desktop anymore. They have a, you know, a laptop. I see them as three different things and Linux doesn't really have anything in that tablet area. So that's why I. It, w- it would be nice to see it like a, a true Linux tablet that worked kind of like Android or iOS does in the, in the tablet form factor. I think that would be great. But I would rather that they work on something that is a tablet OS and is not a converged OS, not something that works across all platforms. I see what you're saying. Oh, I I understand now. Converged platforms. These are buzzwords. Buzzwords, people. When you're at the cooler tomorrow, you know, getting your water, you can throw these terms around and people will be like, ooh, wow, he's in the know. (laughs) Does anyone actually have a water cooler at work anymore? Is that like a thing? <laughs> we do. <laughs> oh, okay. It, you have one in the truck, do you? Is it? No, you, no. In, uh, in the uh, in dispatch, got, oh, okay. the, got the water machine. We fill up our water bottles. We sit around and chat and complain, and you know. Well, good. Well, you can talk about <laughs> converged OSs tomorrow. So ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that will go over quite well with your peers. <laughs> <laughs> they just look at me like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Channel 19 today, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 27. Sorry, that was, that was north, crass. It really 27 was. if you're going to Wyoming, 40 if you're heading out to Kansas. <laughs> anyway, can I just say, here's why I like the, the idea of a Ubuntu tablet. You know, I have, I have a phone. I can't do anything that I'm used to be doing on it with, with, uh, Linux. I just want something that I can mess with. Let's move on to our next uh, open source topic, which is Linux Mint website hacked to disseminate malware. Oh, no, this is bad news. The Linux Mint team announced on the February 20th that someone had hacked their servers and started pointing user downloads to malicious ISO images for the Linux Mint 17.3 Cinnamon Edition. 
The first to provide comment was Clement Lefebvre, leader of the Linux Mint project, who acknowledged the initial point of entry was their WordPress blog. Oh no, another <laughs> infiltration by WordPress. That's never happened. The hackers managed to escalate their access to the underlying server and finally get shell access to www-data, Lefebvre explains. From there, they modified the Linux Mint download page to point to a malicious FTP server hosted in Bulgaria. The Linux Mint team discovered the issue, cleaned up the links from their site, announced the data breach on their blog, and then it appears the hackers recompromised the download page again. Lovely. During the second compromise, all Linux Mint download mirrors were pointing to the same Bulgarian FTP IP, the malicious Linux Mint ISOs contain the Tsunami IRC Distributed Denial of Service bot. Uh, Linux Mint's PHBB database was also put up for sale on the dark web. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a uh, PHP? I know that. What's what's the BB stand for? Bulletin board. It's a oh, forum. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, apparently they've gotten all this cleaned up now, but, uh, yeah, what a mess. Anyway, that came from softpedia.com, and, of course, the link to uh, that story and the more information will be on the website. But, wow, you know, it just goes to show that anybody can, anybody running WordPress, you're in deep trouble. And I, I run WordPress a lot. All I can say is WordFence. It's a plug-in. Look it up. Use it. <laughs> I mentioned Bulgaria in the last show. You did? I don't remember Bulgaria coming up in the last show. I mentioned Bulgarian hackers taking down Black Sparrow Media or something like that. And then I said, no offense to Bulgaria. You really don't remember. No, I really it's don't. Okay. <laughs> go back and listen. Okay, okay, I'll have to go back and listen. The thing is, I was editing the show today. <laughs> huh. <laughs> and I don't remember Bulgaria. Well, maybe it was two weeks ago. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, four weeks ago. You yeah. know... um. Uh, we get movies at the libraries. I have lots of kids, five kids in the house, and we got uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic movie, but the fictitious country that steals the car was Volgaria with a V. <laughs> yeah. that That's not a reference to anything at all. Of course not. <laughs> Um, wow, Bulgarian hackers are real. That's that's. Uh, yep, apparently so. Uh, Mint is. I think it's everyone's. Uh, maybe not first distro, but it's the one that a, l a lot of people go to because it's just got everything. It's right there, all the codecs. You're ready to go. Yep. Well, there's there's one we're going to talk about in a minute that goes even further than Linux Mint. So, ooh. Uh, and KD0IGP, IJP in the chat room uh, says that LinuxMint.com is still down right now. Ay ay Yep. And uh, I went I just surfed to it and sure enough it is still down. Connection refused. So their Apache server is offline. So that was a bad hack. I would think so. But I thought the story said it was they had fixed it. No, I guess not. Um I said they, right. I said they cleaned it up. I didn't say yeah. they fixed it. <laughs> so. I got you. I got you. I understand. I understand now. Yeah. Maybe they're trying to buy their PHP bulletin board database off the dark web. <laughs> Getting it off the dark web, yep. <laughs> it's like some guy in a coat with a thumb drive and, you know, <laughs> in a dark alley. <laughs> uh, uh, <w> these <laughs> terms get thrown around. What would you uh, define the dark web for me? I, I've heard terms like dark web and alter web and stuff like that. It's basically part of the internet, just the part that no one knows about. Things that don't have DNS resolvers, you have to have, like, access to Tor and uh, anonymity um, software to get to or to use, or you just have to be in the know someplace you might find out about on Reddit if you contact the right people, that kind of thing. I see. You have to know where you're going. Right. You need you need an actual address or something like that. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Okay. That, that's my take on it. No, I, I, I understand, but, I, I you know, that makes sense. All right, these, uh, these next two flash topics... We, we, we need like a stinger for that. Flash topic! Oh, you know. <laughs> if we do, uh, we'll have to work on it. Yep. <laughs> you have a little soundboard, right? I, I do have a soundboard, and I Absolutely. could have like a, a nice stinger if we had one. If I, I find something, I'll let you know. You want me to do the first one? By all means. Actually, you probably need to do both of them, because I, I kind of got where you were going with the first one after I read the second article. Because I didn't understand why you had the first one first. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. So, so yeah, I, since you do this one, you go ahead and explain it. <laughs> uh, real quick, flash topic, Russia to move to Linux. And this, uh, yeah, I should have put this uh, article first. Bloomberg interviewed the Russia's internet czar, and 
they sort of threatened to move to Linux. So I thought, ah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so I looked around and in 2010, <laughs> they threatened to move to Linux again. I don't know if this was like, yeah, we want a better deal <laughs> this time around on new licenses or what. Uh, or maybe they're actually serious about it. But the same story ran about six years ago. Uh, so I don't... It wasn't clear article- to me from the articles whether back in 2010 they were doing it because they were trying to get away from the the monopolization of internet technology by groups like Apple and Google and stuff like that. It seems like that's what their focus is now, but I'm not sure that was their reasoning for it back then. The headline of the 2010 article is Putin to put Russian government on Linux by 2015. Putin's order signed this month follows news reports from October saying the Russian government was planning to drop Microsoft in favor of national open source operating system based on Linux. And it was about, you know, they were worried about backdoors and um, it obviously didn't happen by 2015. And I don't I don't know why it didn't happen. Maybe because Russia's a complete mess and yeah, IT is yeah, probably that, low on their priority scale. <laughs> but now they're they're kind of beating the same drum again. The article says in a country where the president has called the internet a CIA project, suspicion runs deep that US companies do the bidding of their government every bit as much as their shareholders. You can see why they, they want to do it. But if it happens, who knows? Who, yeah, moving who knows? on. Moving on. One. So flash topic. Uh you Chromium can, OS for Raspberry Pi too. Version 0.4 launches with new kernel and UX changes. So there's a guy out there. He worked Google Summer of Code on the Chromium project, Chromium OS for Raspberry Pi. If you want to run something other than Raspbian, you can put uh, Chromium on your Raspberry Pi. And I did, and it kind of got stuck (laughs) after I logged in. It kind of got stuck at syncing your preferences. So I don't know how how well it works, but the code named Lenny Bruce. So that's pretty neat. You can actually also, uh, according to the documentation that I've seen, run Windows 10 on an RPI 2. If you want to go really far afield, you can do that as well. It's scaled down. Right. But yes, you still can run a basic Windows 10 on a Raspberry Pi. Very nice. Uh, that's the claim. You can follow this project, uh, Chromium RPI, on Twitter, in case anybody's interested. <laughs> All right. Good deal. So let's move on. We've got more topics, more things to talk about. We're, we're actually moving into our Linux in the ham shack area. And the only reason this next one is kind of in that area is because this particular distribution, which is called Makulu Linux at MakuluLinux.com, this came as a post on our Google Plus community, Linux in the Hamjack. It was referenced because uh, somebody was actually promoting Makulu Linux, but I went and took a look at it and it actually looks kind of neat. It's uh, based on Ubuntu they have done some neat customizations with different desktop environments. They have currently a a version that is based on XFCE, so it's fairly lightweight, and they also have a version that's based on Cinnamon. They've seriously customized these desktop environments, so they look super slick and super flashy. They're really nice, uh, and they even have one that they call the Arrow Edition. Uh, it is the one that's based on Cinnamon, and it looks... Uh, strikingly similar to a Windows 8 or Windows 10 desktop. Uh, so much so, in fact, that when you install Makulu Linux on your machine, it walks you through a series of pop-up windows once, once the operating system is installed that explains things l- like that this looks like Windows, but it's not Windows. It's a full 100% Linux native system. I installed the cinnamon one that looks like Arrow. Um, it's it's also a live DVD, so you can install it just as a, an ISO. Um, I do all of my testing in uh, VirtualBox just just so I have a, an idea of how it works. It was a little slow in VirtualBox, but not too bad. I kind of expected that since it's a heavily graphical interface. I did have it set to two gigs of available RAM and sixty-four gigs of uh, video RAM with three D acceleration enabled. It seems to work reasonably well. Uh, the installer is great, uh, super straightforward, walks you through every little piece of the, the puzzle. You don't have to do uh, any thinking at all. And since it's Ubuntu-based, you can use it as ham radio software. If you have like a blazing fast, you know, quad-core machine with 16 gigs of RAM and blah, 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 and you want to throw that at your ham shack, you can run Makulu Linux on it just fine, and it would work great. You'd have all the Ubuntu repositories and the PPA system and all that kind of thing for running all your software, so no big deal there. 
they do recommend that you get software from their own software updater um, because everything is so highly customized that using like the Synaptic Panage- Package Manager or uh, just uh, upgrading things manually can break stuff. So they do warn you about that. Another thing to note about this uh, particular version of Linux is that it doesn't give a crap about open source. Um, it's practical. Right, right. it's a very practical. <laughs> Not ideological. Right. Because it includes by default lots of software for like torrenting, um, like downloading copyrighted material, blah, 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 blah. And it's all included by default. Uh, so this goes beyond the Linux Mint step of including all of like the decode codecs for DVDs and all that kind of thing. This goes even further to like include software to like download streaming movies straight from your desktop, like by default. So, uh, if you don't care about intellectual property, copyright infringement or anything like that, this is the distro for you. If you like something that looks flashy and you could show off to your friends, uh, you might also want to try this out. Uh, take that for what it's worth. And again, since it's based on Ubuntu, uh, it is open source and, you know, all of the good things about that. So if you want to try it out, it's at makululinux.com, which is Mike Alpha Kilo Uniform Lima Uniform Linux.com. And they've, they've got new, uh, versions that are coming up. They've got a GNOME version that will be released soon. They got Cinnamon XFCE, soon to be GNOME, and maybe that is it. Uh, Unity. Did you say Unity? I did not say Unity. That's right. There is a, there is a one based on Unity that will be coming up too. They have a, a beta preview out, uh, now. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about Makulu Linux is that it's because it's done by, I think it's a German developer, that a lot of the install defaults and a lot of the program defaults are not English or American. Who does he think he is? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on, bud. And and that's perfectly fine. It's just that I noticed, for example, that when I fired up eBay, it was the German eBay site. When I did the install, like it defaulted to like South African English or something like that. It was it was kind of all over the map. Uh, if you're used to doing an install and just kind of like doing everything in English, U.S. keyboard, blah, 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 and just kind of clicking through, you're really going to have a messed up system when you get done. So just pay attention is what, is what I'm saying. He lives in Port Elizabeth. That doesn't sound like uh, German. That sounds like South Africa. Yeah, it's probably South African. Like I said, when I fired up eBay, it was German. So maybe that's where I got that from. But it's probably all South Africa because I know the time zone was set to like Pretoria. Uh-huh. It looks very pretty. It's one of these very pretty distros. Yeah, it even has its own like theming uh, application uh, specifically to make it look pretty. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> very good. So and that's you can that. Run all your favorite ham radio software on it. That's right. While you're pissing off the RIAA, you can you can be <laughs> doing ham radio stuff too. So <laughs> uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, and I was hoping to be able to talk about it more in depth today, but I can't. So I'm hoping, Rich, you can fill in the blanks for me because these are all <laughs> software projects that you mentioned to me, except for one. Okay. But we wanted to talk about some other um, ham radio logging applications that we have not talked about before on the show, and you mentioned all of these to me except for the one, and I have not unfortunately got a chance to research them. So I'm kind of hoping you did. No, I didn't because I know nothing about them. It, I'll tell you where this all came from. I have this Firefox open ZTE phone, Firefox OS, and there's no ham radio software. So I'm looking around I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe I can find something and do some cut and pasting, you know, and, and put something up in the, in the app store. And so I was searching around and I found all these cloud loggers and whatever else there was. <laughs> cloud Shack was that? That's not one that I found, is it? Apparently it is, because that's where I got it from. <laughs> okay. And there, there's other one. If you search for PHP amateur radio log book or something like that, you'll, you'll find some other stuff. Oh, maybe I was looking for JavaScript. Maybe that's why, because this uh, Cloud Shack runs off of just, um, well, the only requirement is Node.js and a running instance of CouchDB. That's very Linuxy right there. So <laughs> it is very Linuxy, and I've actually <laughs> been trying to get Node.js to compile on my server, and I've been having all kinds of trouble with it. There are like binary builds for for certain architectures of Node.js. I've been trying to build it from source. I've actually been trying to build everything from source lately, just to get some practice in at it. And for the most part, it's been going pretty well. But Node.js has been the burr in my saddle lately. I have not, as of yet, been able to get it to compile. 
And the reason is because it fails out on a check for SSE2 instruction set in the CPU, which is something that has been around since 2001. But for some reason, it thinks that my processor doesn't have that instruction set, and so it's failing. As a kind of aside, there's another project called Etherpad, which we use. But Etherpad went away a few years ago, and it was replaced by Etherpad Lite, which runs on Node.js. So I've been trying to set up an instance of Etherpad Lite using Node.js, and I can't because I can't get Node.js to, to build. But I was kind of hoping to get all of that taken care of and take a look at Cloud Shack because it looks really cool. And there was, um, you know, we looked at Lahalo, which was another project that you mentioned, which is another browser-based uh, logging application. And then you mentioned these, Cloud Shack, which is at uh, npmjs, which is November Papa Mike Juliet Sierra.com. And then there's also Cloud Log, which is at cloudlog.co.uk. Um, and, and Lehalo, these are all web-based loggers. And I, re- I remember talking on this show many times over the past that I wanted to make a logger like this. And now we find that there are many of these projects out there. Um, so I kind of want to look at them and say, oh, you know, this one's cool. This one's, you know, stupid and, uh, you know, figure out which is the one we want, uh, to go with. But that'll apparently have to be in a future episode. <laughs> At least everybody has the information out there, and you can look at Cloud Logly Hollow and Cloud, Ch- Cloud Shack, Cloud Shack, and see uh, if any of them work for you. Yeah, I just uh, I don't really have the need, I guess, to to have you know my my log up on a server somewhere. I mean, it's a it is a really cool idea. I guess a club could benefit from Cloud Shack, couldn't they? They could have a a server sitting over there. Actually, because um, one of the things it says right here in the top of the CloudCheck project is that the goal is to create a multi-platform logbook software which does not depend on an internet connection, but will synchronize with other database instances when a connection is available. So that's kind of nice. Now, that sounds a lot like there was a field day logging program written in Python. You would hook up the machines. There was no central server. It was really neat, and it kind of got moved over to Linux, but it... Is it like the N3MM or one of those or the? No, 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 no. I, it's. I think it's called like Field Day Logger or something. Field Day guy from California wrote it. N3FJP. No, 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 no. This this was a. Oh, uh, FD Log. Is that what it is? Yeah, that could be it. Oh yeah, that's it. FD Log. Uh, FD Log is a Google Code project. Uh, let me see if this link is still active. Oh, interestingly, it actually uses Bitbucket. We mentioned Bitbucket earlier today. That, yeah, we that's did. Where code repo is apparently is a Bitbucket. Oh no, no, no! It's a different project. A project that it's uh, based on. Well, if you go it? to fdlog.info, that looks like the the page there. Yeah, fdlog.info. And, right. And and it was really neat. It it was a little quirky to use. If you if you look at it, it's it's you know you you have to learn some. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the like the protocol that it has, and you know it's got some weird. Uh, settings that you got to put in, but WB6ZQZ. That's uh, Alan. He's the one who um, who started that, and then a bunch of people have added to it. And I actually got a few things working in Linux that weren't working in his version because he developed it for Windows. And I I got some of the manuals to open up, some of the PDFs and stuff like that, just by browsing through the code and saying, "Oh, okay, it needs this." Uh, what does Python have? Some it, it checks which OS you're running, and then you know. OS chooser or something like that is yeah. maybe a module. Yeah, I really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all right. No one said all we right. actually Let's knew what we were talking logging about. Logging stuff so. up. Nobody logs their contacts anyway. They write them down on a napkin. <laughs> and you don't even have to do that anymore in the United States. No, logging is no longer a requirement. That's right. The other logging software that we mentioned here, you you actually sent me an email about dxlog.net um, as well. I did. Yeah, you did. Man, okay. Um, this one's written by 9alpha5kilo. I kind of gathered there was something, a, an article somewhere in the email I got that said that this is Windows only or cross-platform like Windows uh, Mac OS or something like that and that they would be at least doing development to try and make it uh, Linux compatible at some point. But but currently it's only uh, Windows. So um, it may be Wine compatible and that may be part of the reason it was mentioned to me. Uh, but anyway, that one's at dxlog.net. Um, it, it looks a lot like YFK test. It's a very uh, N-curses uh, looking logger. So It does. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. 
So anyway, just to round up, we've talked about Cloud Log, Cloud Shack, FD Log, and DX Log. Bunch of logging applications we don't really ever talk about on this program because they're kind of all new to us. <laughs> um, uh, I, I have a question. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You there in the back? Could, uh, go ahead. All the I dxlog.net uh, 2.2.10. MSI. What is an MSI file? Microsoft installer. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That's so uh, pretty straightforward. Tells you it's a Windows program. It runs basically just like an exe. Okay. I, I just, I knew exe. I didn't know MSI. Yep. Stands for Microsoft installer. I think that's post, uh, post 98. I don't, I think uh, anything like XP and beyond, uh, will, will run an MSI. I don't think, uh, 98 or before understands an MSI. Uh huh. But, okay. These are good things to know. All right. And one, one other thing that I'd like to talk about in, in the logging world is a, is a program called NetLogger, which is, by the way, is at netlogger.org. It is a logger in the sense that it's a logger, but it also has additional features in that it keeps track of nets. If you've ever participated in a net of any kind, whether it be a VHF net or an HF net, some nets keep contact lists going because they're like worked all states nets and stuff like that. So they keep a list for each net of who is logged in. So if you're trying to do worked all states and you need Delaware, you can use these loggers and the net controls keep track of what stations are online and uh, connected to the net, you can then see that, oh, there's a Delaware station, I can work them when it's my turn, so on and so forth. There's one of these that's written by November 7 X-Ray Golf, which is specifically for the 3905 Century Club. It, it only works if you're um, on one of their HF nets. Oh, and by the way, that one is Windows only. But there's one called NetLogger, which is the one we're talking about, which is used by lots and lots and lots of nets, including the AAU net, which is the awful, awful, ugly net, the good old boys group, the Triple H group, uh, Moonlighters, the YL system, the SVARA, Old Man International Society, otherwise known as OMIS, and several others, actually, Wolverine, blah, 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 blah. Basically, if there's an HF or VHF out there, a VHF net out there, they probably use this logger. It does allow you to log contacts, keep track, and also keep track of the uh, check-in information for whatever net you're connected to. And the reason I bring it up here is because it is cross-platform. It runs on macOS, Windows, and Linux. It is Linux native, which is very cool. And I use this application all the time. In fact, it's always running on my Shack PC because I pretty much always jump onto these nets because there's a surprising dearth of Worked All States nets check-ins from Missouri. Which is surprising to me. It would seem like there would be a lot of people on from Missouri, but I, I tend to be alone in this state checking into these nets, and I give a lot of people uh, Missouri for their WAS award, which is kind of nice. And and the fact that they actually have a, a logger that's written for uh, Linux is really cool. That is included in this logging software, and it's actually a pretty decent piece of software. It works really well. Another thing I've been working on, uh, I finally got built. As I've I've had uh, one of these Noelec, um SDRs, uh, RTL SDRs, sitting in a, in a uh-huh. drawer forever and ever and ever. Uh, I finally went through uh, the nightmare procedure of getting GQRX in, uh, built and running. <laughs> but once I got it built, it it runs fabulous. And one thing I didn't real realize about this SDR is that it's only it doesn't do HF. <laughs> which is kind of the reason I got it. Oh uh, yeah, you need a you need a converter. Yeah, I need down a, like a down converter, which is fine. Or I'll just get an HFSDR because there's a few of those out there as well. But for what it does, uh, it works fantastically. And and GQRX is a really nice software package. It's just the the procedure for getting it to actually build from source is is like beyond. Um, oh yeah, the, the, yes, yes. The, the I problems I was now. having to get Whisper installed are like a tiny little drop in the bucket compared to the problems I had trying to get GQRX to build. But I I finally got it done and I finally got it installed and it actually works really well. So I, I tried. I started with Qt SDR, but the problem with Qt SDR is it's only for remote SDRs. It doesn't actually work with a USB connected SDR. So that was kind of useless to me. It was a hell of a lot easier to build, but it didn't do anything. So. <laughs> But GQRX actually worked really well. Yeah, a, I've used GQRX before on on one of those whatever they are the eight twenty dongles or, or yeah, that's what I have an eight twenty t eight twenty t yeah yeah that's it and 
Yeah, they work great. With, even with that little antenna, I was able to hear all the uh, FM radio stations around. And yep. very simple to use. GQRX is, you know, just very simple. I, I was actually able to pick up the FM broadcast stations, and I was actually also able to pick up uh, 159.915, which is a local EM dispatch. So that, Excellent. Um, I wasn't able to, and I was also able to pick up myself. If I tuned to a local two meter frequency and transmitted it, I could hear me. So, <laughs> <laughs> is there a repeater within range of you? Um, there is, but even with that, I don't think that little antenna would pick it up because it's behind the house in, uh, direction and my house has a metal roof. So yep. I don't think it would actually pick it up. However, however, <laughs> I just bought an MCX to SO239 cable so I can plug in my external antenna into my dongle. Nice. So I, I'm, I'm actually looking at buying a discount, a 25 to 1300 meg discount, uh, putting that up on the roof and connecting it to my dongle and then putting it out on web SDR. My location should be web enabled SDR 25 to 1300 meg soon. Excellent. Yes. Uh, I didn't know that those were MCX, that little, that little tiny thing there. That's I, great. I think it's MCX. Yeah. MC, yeah. MC- yeah. That's right. Four bucks on eBay, six bucks on Amazon. You can find them all over. Yep. Perfect. So I, so yeah, I got a I, couple of those MCX to SO239 so I can plug in a standard, you know, PL259 cable to any antenna, plug it right into the little dongle and away I go. Have you looked into HF? SDR radios? I, I did today. I looked into a few of the HF SDR radios, and there's a couple I'm looking at, so I figured I'd just pick one up. They kind of look like uh, they're like Arduino-based or something like that, or uh, have a similar chipset. Uh, okay, so a less expensive one then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're little single-board uh, jobbies that, that do uh, 30 to 30 HF. Okay, cool. Yeah, because I see some, like eBay here, 100 kilohertz to 1.7 gig. For forty-two dollars, does that sound right? It must have an up converter built in. Yeah, there's a DIY kit for thirty thirty-one dollars. Huh? Lots of stuff. Yep. Uh, right now, as it is, I can listen to VHF, UHF, uh, DVSB, um, you know, that kind of stuff um, with what I've got. But uh, it would be nice to have an HF one too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just um, I don't know. They're just cool to tinker with. We do have a couple of more segments to go. Since we're going to be getting along towards uh, St. Patrick's Day when this episode comes out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play Da Vinci's Notebooks, another Irish drinking song. Perfect. Gather round ye lads and lasses, set ye for a while And hearken to me mournful tale about the Emerald Isle Let's all raise our glasses high to friends and family gone And lift our voices in another Irish drinking song Consumption took me mother and me father got the pox Me brother drank the whiskey till he wound up in a box Me other brother in the troubles met with his demise Me sister has forever closed her smiling eyes now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up and then go drinking once again. Kenny was killed in Kilkenny, and Claire, she died in Clare. Tip from Tipperary died out in the Danielle. Shannon jumped into the river, Shannon back in June. Ernie fell into the urn, and Tom is in the tomb. Cleanliness is godliness, me Uncle Pat would sing. He broke his neck a slipping on a bar of Irish spring. Oh, Grady, he was 80, though his bride was just a pup. He died upon the honeymoon when she got his Irish up. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried We'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up and then go drinking once again Joe Murphy fought with Riley near the cliffs of Old Denis. He took out his shillelagh and he stabbed him in the spleen. Well, Crazy Uncle Mike thought he was a leprechaun, but in fact he's just a leopard, and his arms and legs are gone. When Timmy Johnson broke his neck, it was a crying shame. He wasn't really Irish, but he went to Notre Dame. McNamara crossed the street, and by a bus was he. But he was just a Scotsman, so nobody gave a shit. Oh. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then go drinking once again. 
and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light. Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Dun, dun. Brendan tried to drive him from the bar The road rose up to meet him when he fell out of his car Irony was what befell me great-granduncle Sam He choked upon the very last potato in the land Connor lived in Ulster Town, he used to smuggle arms Until the British killed him and cut off his lucky charms And dear old father Flanagan, who left the Lord's employ Drunk on sacramental wine beneath the altar boy Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried We'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up and then go drinking once again Someday soon I'll leave this world of pain and toil and sin. The Lord will take me by the hand to join all of me kin. Me only wish is when the Savior comes for me and you. He kills the cast of Riverdance and Michael Flatley too. Now everybody's died, so until our tears are dried, we'll drink and drink and drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light, then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Then we'll throw up, pass up, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. That was great. <laughs> it's even better in concert. So. <laughs> They're <laughs> which, friends of ours. Which you so. can't see anymore because Da Vinci's notebook has been broken up for like six years. So. Wow. But, I think it's been longer Yeah, it's probably been longer than that. But anyway, moving on from the music, we have uh, our next segment, which is announcements and feedback. And we only have one announcement and or feedback for tonight, which is our Hamvention Generosity Campaign, which you can find at generosity.com, I think. <laughs> Anyway, the link to it will be in the show notes. Really? Yeah. Well, you go to Generosity, you look up Linux in the Ham Shack, you'll find it. As everybody knows, we're trying to get to Hamvention again this year. Our campaign is up and running. If you could send us a few dollars, that would be great. Any little bit helps. There are lots of cool perks this year uh, to help us along, so you get something back for your donation, and hopefully we'll wind up in Dayton, Ohio in May of this year. We'd like to see everybody there. We'd like to be there. Generosity.com. If you donate, or even if you don't donate, please share with your friends on your social media networks, even by word of mouth. Every little bit helps. As far as I know, we are the only open source and Linux advocate at Hamvention. This is a this is a convention that draws over twenty five thousand people over a three day period. There are hundreds and hundreds of vendors at this at this uh, event. No, that can't be. You're not nestled in between, you know, the the Fedora hams and the and the Ubuntu hams. No, no. As sad as that is, huh? Yeah, I know. Strange as that may be, um, and there's no huge open source projects there, like CQR log or anything like that. No, no, there just isn't. There's there's none oh, of that. Just you, huh? Just just us. The thing is, amateur radio as a hobby is a very open hobby. It deals in open hardware and tinkering and homebrew and stuff like that. The dichotomy there is that the software that most of this stuff runs on is Windows only. It's closed source. It's unavailable. And so we're trying to change that perception, that perspective. And that is why this is really important. But unfortunately, Hamvention is not cheap to attend. It's cheap to attend if you just want to go there. But if you want to be us, if you want to bring our message to the people of Hamvention, they don't make that easy for us. It's it's a rather it's a expensive, expensive proposition. For a booth there. Yeah, yes. the booths are expensive. The travel is expensive. We have to have all of our uh, infrastructure there to provide the information. We also disseminate Linux distributions on disk. All of that costs money. None of this comes inexpensively, and unfortunately, we just can't shoulder that burden on our own. So we hope everybody can help out. Donate if you can. We would really appreciate it and hope to see you all at Hamvention in, in May. On to Cheryl's Recipe Corner, and we definitely need a stinger for this one, too, so <laughs> we're uh, going to work on that. Yeah, you need to work on all kinds of stuff. So. All right. So tell us what's for dinner. Well, dinner is actually Dr. Pepper Pork Chops, which we had for dinner today. This is a quick and easy thing that you could throw together. 
Russ is not a big fan of Dr. Pepper, but he actually requested these for dinner tonight. So I fixed this with some rice and some garlic roasted broccoli, which I think I have covered. I believe you've done that as as something in the past. Yes, yes. So anyway, you just need a few pork chops, some Dr. Pepper, some ketchup, some oregano, and some Worcestershire sauce. Bake them for 20, 25 minutes, and poof, you have dinner. And tonight's scotch pairing is a Balveni 12-year double wood that goes with your Dr. Pepper pork chops. There you, you ate go. your pork chops first, and then you're drinking the scotch. Um, it's still it's still joined together in my I stomach. See, see, that's that's where the pairing is occurring right there. So gotcha. Put all this stuff uh, together in a small baking dish, put it in the oven for 20 to 30 minutes, and you, poof, you have amazing pork chops for dinner. Let's move on to our social media roundup. This time for donations and subscriptions, we have Jonas Rulio, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Harrison Kyle, Scott Pettigrew, Bob Yerke, Paul Griffith, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Brian Smith, John Spriggs, Robert Halliday, Ben Schram, Michael Aiello, John Clark, Rob Branch Dash, Edward Donnelly, Donald Gever, Alan Wilson, Steve Sainer, Dylan Engel, Jason Marina. Marinero. Marinero. Say it like Marinara. Gotcha, Marin Marinero, excuse me. Ronald Nesler, James Blocker, Doug Redder, Mike Lasky, Darren King, Petro Krasakis, and Donna Ferrant. On Facebook this week, we have Warren Hobbs, Leandro Angenoi, uh, yeah. Angenoni. Let's go yeah, with there that. There we go. Yeah. Alex Barbosa, Thomas Wade, Paul Rice, Jean Bork. I, okay, we'll go with Bork. Uh, Donald Griffiths and Daniel Model, which Donald and Daniel are both Russ's bowling partners they're, they're, on Sunday they're, night. Yep, they're on my bowling team. Yep. So, or we're, we're, I'm on his, their bowling team, I guess. Is what they, they, they needed you. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, Google Plus, Magnus Crowley and Keith Birdwell. Twitter, we have WA1IBG. LBG. Okay. Pro Linux Net, Fred underscore if. LF. KD2CWA. YouTube is KD0RG Rich. Huh. Who's who's huh. KD0RG Rich? I, I, don't, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> but he joined should, us on YouTube. We, we so. should look into I that. I did. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody joined the mailing list. There's no merchandise sales this week. I don't even know if I know if I'm part of the YouTube channel. You you probably not, but that's okay. Oh. You sh- you should join. Then your name will get mentioned on the Ooh, show. My name never gets mentioned. <laughs> All I'm right. Go check that out. Ted also says in Iowa, a pork chop is three inches thick. Actually, the ones we had were pretty damn close. Yeah, to they that, were close so. to that. <laughs> uh, we had some pretty good ones. And that being said. I'm going to push the button to get us on out of here because uh, the show is over. So now you're hearing the outro music. and Can I just say one thing real quick? You, you better do go it over quick. To the generosity campaign to see, uh, to see what Richard and Pete said. All right. Make sure you do that. Check out the generosity campaign. And uh, this has been episode number 163 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, you've been listening to uh, some groovy information and we hope you take something away from our show and we hope you tune in in a couple of weeks time to listen to more you can become an LHS ambassador you can visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the ham shack at a nearby Linux con or ham fest we also happen to love feedback you can email us at info at lhspodcast.info comment on an episode on the website post on Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter or leave a voicemail at one nine zero nine LHS show. That's one nine zero nine five four seven seven four six nine. We have an an IRC channel which is Octothorpe LHS podcast on Freenode. Uh, if you don't know what an Octothorpe is, you should probably look it up. You can also subscribe to our mailing list. You can buy show merchandise from coffee mugs, t-shirts, and a whole bunch of other stuff at cafepress.com/LHS podcast. That helps out the show a little bit. You can also help out the show by clicking on the sponsored ads links the right-hand column of the homepage. You can listen to us live and hear all the stuff you don't hear in the released version at 8 o'clock central time. That's Tuesday 0100 Zulu time. You can also check out a recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode. Those are on the website and our website is lhspodcast.info 
India November Foxtrot Oscar for everything you ever wanted to know about the show. We want to thank all of our listeners live, quasi-live, past, present, and future. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we're glad you're here with us finding out about Linux, open source, ham radio, science, and all the other cool things we talk about. So thanks again for listening. For me, Russ, K5TUX in Studio 3D in Southwest Missouri, and Rich, KD0RG out in Greeley, Colorado, and Cheryl, who's my constant sidekick who sits across me on every episode. Uh, Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks' time. Bye-bye. I play with myself.